The ETF Edge podcast is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, supporting the innovators changing the world. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to ETF Edge, the podcast. If you're looking to learn the latest insights on all things exchange-traded funds, you are in the right place. Every week, we're bringing you interviews, market analysis, and we're breaking down what it all means for investors. I'm your host, Bob Fazzani. Today on the show, we'll discuss the fallout from the market sell-off. Will the emergence of a new COVID-19 variant add even more fuel to an already pro-growth anti-cyclical trade in November? Plus, we'll talk to the CEO of popular stock trading app Webull, a rival to Robinhood, about sentiment as more young investors get into the ETF game. Here's my conversation with Anthony Denier, CEO of Webull. Andrew McCormick is the managing director at Wallach Beth Capital, and Harry Witten is the head of ETF sales trading at Old Mission Capital. Anthony, Webull is a, an electronic platform, has a lot of the demographic characteristics of Robinhood. I see average age 30 years old, 7 million accounts. Before I get to ETFs, tell us how your investor base traded on Friday, since that's the topic du jour. Were they buying or selling? What were they buying or selling? Yeah, we, we, we saw a bit, of a, a bit of both, but I was really surprised to see the strong buying demand, because you know this re this retail investor right now is extremely bullish on this market. Uh, I think for all the right reasons. So they saw this more as an opportunity to actually buy some discounted names, and you know not knowing which names actually get into can be you know can be difficult when the market's moving so aggressively. So we saw a lot of buying in broad index ETFs, right? SPY being our most popular, a lot of heavy buying there, and our momentum traders. We're also utilizing the inverse ETFs, which was pretty surprising, uh, trying to get that momentum on the downside just with using a long account. Yeah. Now, Harry, you run a big ETF market-making desk. I often talk to you about trading trends. What did you see on Friday, and what are you seeing today in terms of who's trading what? Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was a super busy day. You know, everybody thought we were going to be sitting here doing some online shopping, waiting till 1 o'clock. But we traded more on Friday than any normal day last week. And we saw a lot of selling of high yield, a uh, lot of activity in the international space, emerging market space, which Old Mission specializes in. And just as Anthony said, it was just uh, a lot of buying later in the day going into the close, which was early this on Friday at one o'clock. It's remarkable how much has reversed, uh, Andrew, from, from Friday. And now you, uh, Andrew, run a big institutional trading desk, a lot of it's ETFs. What were you telling clients Friday, and what are you hearing from them today? Yeah, it's, it's funny, the two different generations, right? We have our tactical, old-school, reduced-risk ETF shops that, of course, Friday, those triggers start to happen. They start to go off. They start to get close. That's, as Harry said, we had some high-yield sellers as well. And they're kind of precautionary, right? Now they might wait a couple of days and jump back in. Uh, but with this younger generation, I got to tell you, getting into my you know 20 something plus years in the business, I've never seen a group more resilient. Of course, they don't know a loser yet, and that's a factor, but they're very resilient, very strong. They're buying on dips, just like stronger hedge funds where it's very unlike a retail audience. You just don't see that panic. Of course, this has been the trend, right? The one or two day sell off, and then it pops back up. Yeah. Now, Anthony, you've told me ETFs are still a fairly small portion of the assets of your clients. 
Mm. But there seems to be two groups here. Um, some own plain vanilla ETFs, you know, like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ 100. They also like Kathy Wood, no surprise there. But there's also a more active uh, a group of traders at Webull that have a penchant for using leverage and inverse ETFs, particularly the ones that leverage returns on the NASDAQ 100. They seem to really like that. And even yeah. the VIX as well. Why is that group so interested in, in leveraging, uh, for example, the NASDAQ 100? Well, if, 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 the, if your viewers aren't, um, aren't aware of, of Webull and how we kind of differentiate our platform, uh, we do have ver very similar demographics, like you, like you noted uh, in the beginning, uh, to Robinhood in terms of you know, average age, average account size. Uh, however, the one differentiating factor that, that we may have left out is we have very active traders, right? And our traders are very quick to take positions. They, they go in and out of positions very, very fast. Um, so when we see our active traders, which is a big uh, portion of our uh, users on the platform, they tend to be not able to get access to some of those traditional leverage tools, right? I mean, I'm talking about uh, margin in a retail account, right? You need to have $2,000 or more just to qualify for Reg T. A lot of our users don't even have $2,000 or more. We're talking about millions of them. Um, also, they, they may be too young to have the proper investment experience to get access to the options market. Right, so that's another sort of speculative or highly leveraged uh, uh, security that they don't get access to. So they have flocked to these leveraged ETFs. And you mentioned TQQ. I mean, that by far is our most popular leverage ETF that we see our heavily speculative active traders getting into day in and day out. And that's, of course, the TQQQ is the ProShares Ultra Pro QQQ. That gives you leverage, of course. Uh, and when you own the, uh, the, the, tr the triple Qs. You know, uh, Andrew, I can't help but notice that, uh, like Robinhood, th these are small accounts, as, as Anthony said, $4,000 on average. Um, I, but what, what's the future here? Uh, isn't the assumption they're going to grow? And as long I as the market so. continues, I mean, they'll, they'll continue Bob, to deposit the assets. Power. The, these are yeah. the same people that exhausted the shorts in GameStop. And, and AMC, they gave up. They go, I'll go short something else, right? So they have a lot of power and resiliency and they're growing. And the ultimate sign is you have billion dollar, very successful companies and new companies. For example, Direction, you know, multi, multi billions of dollars AUM. They are changing their marketing to really focus on these people. And, and again, their products, right? Uh, imagine going, I'm going to the Pittsburgh pension dinner next week. Imagine going there and saying, I want to tell you about this fallen knife ETF from Direction. And I'm also thinking about the psychedelic ETF from defiance, right? They would be like, are you crazy? But we're talking a lot of money going into these products. I also want to note, and, and I'm very proud of Direction and ProShares for education. If you look on their websites, the fourth button is education. And I hope that we both are doing the same thing, just explaining it to everyone, even for this audience, to know the effect of long-term holding these assets. Not saying they're doing that, but if you're long-term holding a triple ETF and it goes the wrong way, you know, that can have some unpleasant results. Yeah. So, Anthony, what about that education aspect? I mean, remember, we all look like geniuses in an up market. What, what happens when all of a sudden uh, the market drops and, you know, it doesn't work just buying endless call options, for example, uh, th that stops working? Um, how, yeah. how, what are you doing to prepare and educate uh, your investors or your, the people who put their assets on your site? Edu education is one of the most focused and talked about things with platforms like a Webull that serves a younger and a newer investor, right? So, you know, the traditional 
way of educating is maybe having like a table of contents with a glossary and it kind of reads maybe like an encyclopedia on a typical brokerage website. Um, and you know, we have those types of things, but we found that that doesn't work, right? Just because you build a library does not mean that students are gonna show up and start reading all the books on your shelves. What, you, what we have been doing, and this word gets used very negatively in the press, is we've been gamifying the education, right? We've been taking those nuggets of, of facts. What is a leverage ETF, right? What is an inverse ETF? What are the risks associated? And put them into easily digestible kind of bullet points and snippets, short videos or animations, or even have an interactive social media uh, questionnaire, right? You know, if you think, you know, what's more risky, you know, uh, uh, a short duration call on a Thursday afternoon or a, you know, triple weighted ETF. You know, I'm just saying like polls like that to get our customers involved to actually right. look it up, look up the differences of the risk between the two. So this is a, a huge undertaking, not just for Webull, I'm speaking actually for the whole kind of yeah. mobile first retail industry where we've actually been, been having roundtable discussions together uh, figuring out the best ways to educate our clients. And, you know, some of our peers, Robinhood's doing a really good job right. of it on social media, I think, of getting that education out there first. Fidelity's starting to do it as well and using this game of, idea of gamification to get educational content into and consumed and understood by this new demographic, right? We consume, as a, as a society, we consume information much differently now than we did just five years ago. And I think the education factor that a brokerage platform uh, gives out to their customers also has to evolve with that new way of consuming that information. I've often compared you to Robinhood, but I wonder if that's a little bit unfair. I mean, you've often tried to sort of say, all right, we are sort of like Robinhood, but we're not. How do you differentiate yourself? I mean, you've, you've said before that your, your customer base consumes more research, for example. So is it more fair to compare you to, I don't know, think or swim customers or something like that? How are you different? So if, if you were to compare our order flow versus, say, another brokerage's order, order flow, we more mimic a think or swim type of customer, right? A more advanced that's utilizing charts, utilizing backtesting, uh, utilizing different, you know, analytics and indicators to make an entry point and exit point decision where, you know, that's not so much the case on some of the simpler platforms that are out there. And the fact that we are a mobile first solution brings our demographic into the same world as a Robinhood. So we often get kind of, you know, grouped up with Robinhood. It's, oh, they're, they're just a different form or a different name of Robinhood. When in fact, our customer's profile, although on a media spreadsheet may look the same in age and affluency and, and, and demographic, um, but when it comes to actually the educational aspect of our investors, they're much more in intellectual and experienced in what they're doing to the point where we often say internally that Robinhood is our customer's first account and Webull is their second. Because they graduate yeah. from a simple sort of make it easy to trade, don't get too deep in it, to I want to get deep in it, I really want to nerd out on this and I want to learn more and learn how to do it better. So Andrew, do you yeah. buy into this narrative that, that suddenly we have a smarter, more intelligent investor base that is really interested I, in Absolutely, in, in because knowledge? they're talking about options. Like you said, if they're talking about options, they're more advanced. If they're talking about lever, they're more advanced. I love that they want to learn that. The ETFs will not grow at these platforms substantially, I think, until you have a losing time frame. Like for example, a Peloton, right? Had that violent move down. When that kind of happens, and now if this, hopefully this thing with COVID, this latest, you know, the Omicron isn't a big deal. If it is, and we go back to work from home stocks, I think some of this audience could then be like, okay, how do I not get involved in this single stock risk? 
and then there's WFH work from home from like a direction, or there's the moon where now instead of just picking the one, I mean, they've, you've seen them flock to Kathy Wood, so now the new issuers are putting these out. But as long as they're doing this work on this website, I would think that they're going to stick to single stocks. So they're putting that work in to not achieve beta. They're putting the work in to achieve alpha. And they've known alpha for two years, right? So I love that they're getting educated. I, I have not seen it. I've grown up with many of my customers. I've not seen such an intelligent investor base. And let's be honest, when they get to 30 years old, when they get to 35, they start making real money. They're already going to be seasoned. It's going to be a big lift for the market uh, when this starts happening, when they get a little older and have even more money to invest. Yeah, you know, Harry, uh, listening to uh, Anthony and Andrew, you, you can't help but think that for these young traders, uh, it's almost like they're taking some risks. Maybe it's their play money. Uh, but as they get older, the, the, the narratives here seems to be the investments are going to change, the assets are going to grow, and you'll see more and more uh, uh, investors put their money into plain vanilla ETFs, for example. Do you, do you buy into this, this kind of narrative? Yeah, totally. You think they're probably their primary account is for 401k. And this is their money. It's part of their savings. They're using it as their play money. Uh, I don't think you should overlook the fact that fractional shares have really changed the business. It used to be, you know, you had to go out, you had to do a minimum, you had to buy X amount of shares at a brokerage firm. Now you can go in, you can put $50 in to buy, you know, a share of Tesla or a part, part share of Tesla. I think it's really important. And it also gives you a way to diversify the account. And I think, as Andy said, as these accounts get more mature, you're going to see them start diversifying into yeah. more of the pure bread and butter ETFs with the alpha generating areas on top of it. You know, it makes total sense to me, Harry, I mean, in terms of what they own here. Um, Kathy Wood, they love Kathy Wood. That makes sense. Wood, Kathy Wood's a hero amongst some of this group. Uh, no surprises there. Uh, I think Tesla uh, is the number one stock held by people under 30 uh, or something like that. Uh, she is a, a leader in Tesla. So, you know, they tend to follow it. So, uh, Harry, doesn't make nothing I'm seeing here is a shocking to me particularly. No, no, it's, it all it all makes sense. You know, you have to say, look what happened. Uh, during COVID, when people were uh, from home, you saw a massive uptick in, in people doing online investing. Uh, ETFs were part of it, individual stocks, as Andy said, all of the like GameStop-type stocks, uh, Avis, Hertz, all of that stuff that's going on in those marketplaces. Uh, it's just the future. The future is these types of uh, platforms. Yeah. You know, uh, Anthony, uh, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about whether um, most of your clients have accounts elsewhere. Maybe you can clear that up for us. Uh, are there other long-term assets and accounts um, sitting elsewhere, like ETFs, for example, or other kinds of accounts that are just not on your platform? Yeah. Um, it's So with the demographic of user, uh, and I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about traders, you know, in the late 20s, early 30s. Uh, that are most uh, most prolific on our type of mobile-first brokerage solution, like a Webull, like a Robinhood. It's very common for them to have multiple brokerage accounts and multiple relationships with different sort of tools. Because again, these are all mobile app-based, right? It'd be different if we were back in the, the brick-and-mortar days, where it was a bit more common to have one specific asset manager down across the board where they're doing your retirements, they're also doing your active trading, they may even be doing your banking. Those days are completely gone with this new Generation Z or millennial type of customer, 
right? They look for different platforms that offer better things for their individual needs, whether it's improving their credit score, whether it's free checking, free trading with access to options and crypto at the same time. And every platform does one thing a little bit better than everyone else. Now, everyone tries to create that one super app, right? Um, but one size never truly fits all. And it's really easy for today's user to have multiple relationships and to manage those relationships easily. Minimums are gone, right? Minimums used to be a thing, or if you didn't trade enough uh, per quarter, right, your account would be put in hold or put yeah. on lockdown. Uh, those things no longer exist. There's no more minimums. There's no more uh, expectations for you to have a certain amount of uh, deposits per year or a certain amount of transactions per year. So it really opens up the playing field. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of our customers may actually be holding a lot of ETFs, especially in these robo-advisor yeah. platforms like, like a Betterment, right, or a Stash, or an Acorns, uh, where they actually are very ETF heavy in their portfolio, but on their active investing platforms like a Weeble, they're more stock specific, yeah. right? They're taking those, those yeah. opportunities to create that alpha in their portfolio to get some incremental cash. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it's, it's not only uh, there's no minimums, there's, there's no commissions either, right? You're not charging commissions, are you? You do do no. payment for order flow, right? We do payment for order flow. Um, we do allow fractional trading. We allow options trading, complex strategies, calendar spreads, condors, no contracts, no contract fees, yeah. no commissions, uh, no minimums, no monthlies. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a no cost platform to our customer and we do make well, money I on payment for I, order flow to no, monetize. What I think is worth, is worth noting too is that this generation has a different appetite for risk from the bottom up. If you even look at the employment, we, we recently launched a private equity business and what we're finding out is that there's so much more liquidity and things happening in the private equity space because the younger generation of employees, those reaching their 30s and 20s, exchanged equity in the company for lieu of a salary. And there is a ton of risk. And oh, I'm working for a startup, I'm gonna take 50% of my salary in equity and watch this thing go public in 10 years. That's happening way more than it did with the 40s and 50s and the baby boomers that are happening now. So they're just used to risk and they're also used to being very educated about it. I think it's great what Weeble's doing with, with, with all the education, the options. Yeah, it, uh, you know, there's, so many Andrew, more, there's so many more tools available now for the education. Yeah, uh, Andrew Anthony was talking about investors, their investors being on multiple platforms. So it seems like a lot of these young people have private equity exposure through their own jobs, for example, in new companies. Yeah. And, and that's a growing trend as well, right? And you're seeing that. Yeah, that's what we're seeing because all of a sudden, like all these companies, I mean, you'll hear about it. You guys have talked about it. Oh, can I get into Palantir early and DoorDash and all these things? And this is what's why the SPAC's coming up, right? The popularity is everyone wants to get in now. They want to be like their grandfather's Goldman. He was the best account, so he got in pre-IPOs. That is not what goes on anymore. And the reason why there is liquidity is because you may have a 20-something that is a C-level executive at this company, and he has so much that he wants to get out. I've talked to these companies, and they're like, yeah, sure, we will let the CFO let go of $10 million of this company. He's been in it since he was 22 years old, and they get to cash out. That's a new phenomenon. Obviously, it's not related to ETFs, but it just shows you that, of course, they're willing to write a call, sell a put. That's nothing compared to they put in the entire risk of their career on one company. So they like to diversify, they do these other companies, they get involved early, they're not scared. Yeah, okay, gentlemen, I'm gonna to have to leave it there.
Now it's time to round out the conversation with some analysis and perspective to help you better understand ETFs. This is the Markets 102 portion of our podcast. Today we'll be continuing the conversation with Anthony Denier. He's the CEO of Webull. Anthony, thanks for continuing to stay with us. Uh, I, I'm wondering if you could characterize how trading levels have been amongst your uh, your users. It was a sort of a pleasant trope throughout the summer that, well, we saw this explosion in trading occur uh, in the end of last year, in the beginning of this year, some of it around Reddit and meme stops. But as soon as everybody goes back to work and uh, people spend more time uh, doing other things, the trading activity is going to drop off. How, how have you seen or how would you characterize trading activity in the last few months compared to earlier in the year? Well, the Q3 in the summer was definitely a slower time. And, you know, you can you can attribute that to a lot of things, right? Good weather, uh, COVID kind of being less in everyone's mindset, kids sports coming back, right? So if you have kids, you're, you're kind of busy running around uh, and spending some time with your family that maybe was was well, much missed and well, much needed. Um, that's been the opposite case with September, well, with September, October, and so far in November. Uh, trading activity on our platform has been a exponential number from Q3, meaning we're seeing two to two and a half times more trading activity uh, from our customers. And that goes for account openings, that goes to new account funding, and that goes to actual transactions. Um, bull market has a lot to do with that. We saw a little bit of a slowdown, the sideways trade through the summer. Uh, you know, October was a very, very strong month uh, for us uh, across all metrics of the market. Um, and we're seeing we're seeing the retail customer have a very bullish appetite on this overall stock market. And I think Friday's sell off and, you know, today's bounce back and us seeing at Webull a lot of a lot of long accounts buying on that dip on Friday. Just, a, you know, an example of that bullishness that we're seeing in retail right now. And how would you how would you compare this, say, to the first quarter? I, I know you're saying it was more active in the third quarter. How about the first quarter in terms of openings and trade volumes? The first quarter was a bit unique because we had GameStop. Um, and that basically put the idea of actively participating in the U.S. markets into the mindset of a lot of now customers that had no intention of ever trading a stock or an option in their life. Um, you know, the, the momentum, the social media momentum that GameStop created opened up a whole new dynamic of customer uh, to actually open up a brokerage account and be active in the markets. Um, traditional, you know, traditional thinkers were saying that, you know, they'll go away. That was a flash in the pan. But we're seeing our account numbers even better in Q4 than they were in Q1, right? And that's, yeah. you know, a lot of that comes to, you know, brand awareness. It comes to the market's continued strength through the year. And it comes to the, 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 the availability and the ease that today's retail investor can get access to a quality brokerage account with super to no cost, super low to no cost. You've been on a separate subject. You've been very big on saying that your your customers, your, your account holders have been very big on looking at educational videos and figuring out, trying to understand what's going on. You've often said your clients are more like think or swim and they're more analytical and uh, research driven uh, than the average Robin Hood person. And when I asked you, is there any evidence that they're getting more educated? You, you pointed out that the largest single holding here uh, amongst ETFs was VOO, which is the S&P 500 Vanguard fund, mm -hmm. uh, over the largest ETF out there, which is uh, SPY, which is iShares. Um, and you think the difference is because 
SPY, SPY charges nine basis points, and VOO only charges three basis points. That's is that, exactly is, right. You, yeah. you, that's why you think that's happened. You, you think they figured that out pretty quickly, that why, if they're longer-term holders, why own something that you have to pay nine basis points and own the, you can own the same product at three basis points? Yeah, the, the, the old tagline, dumb retail, I think is a, is, a, is, a fal is a false narrative that's been created to explain how retail investors react to market events or how they trade their personal accounts. We've seen the opposite. This new generation of investor, and I say new generation, I mean millennial and Gen Z in particular, the amount of information and the way they consume it um, is, is really impressive in the terms that they are really educating themselves. Now, there's gonna be some trips and some slip-ups along the way, but for the most part, I use, that, I use that example of seeing our customers that are long ETF positions switch from seeing SPY being the most held, which is a very broad-based and very, very well-known, maybe the most well-known ETF out there, uh, and moving to positions in VOO, which is very much less well-known than SPY. And the reason for that, it's, it's a third of the cost in management fees. And we're seeing our retail customers actually doing the work, doing the research that if they're going to hold a position that's going to be long, they're actually looking at the management fees involved. And I think that's something that no one would expect from a retail investor, you know, even, you know, three or four years ago. Now that the tools are there and easily to get access, they're utilizing them and they're educating themselves and becoming yeah. better investors. I'm wondering if you could uh, just tell us a little bit about your ownership. Uh, you're owned by Fumi Technology. Um, that's a, a Chinese holding company. But more interestingly, your founder, uh, Wang Anquan, was a former employee at Alibaba Group. Tell us a little bit about how the company got founded. Well, um, so our founder uh, was an employee of Alibaba along, alongside you know, other companies as well, large banks. Um, and he was very, very in tune with moving money through mobile apps, right? And, and the future of, of money and finance is going to be based on a mobile platform. And, and at the time, this is, you know, back in, you know, 2014, 2015, um, there were online, there were apps available for your brokerage account, but they were slaves um, and, and kind of weak derivatives from what was available on the website. Everything was a, you know, www.etrade.com, for example. And the E-Trade app was a place to maybe see your, your NAV intraday and maybe even place a trade, but that's about it. Where we believe that the future is actually in mobile and to create a mobile first solution. So Weibo has actually started as a market data application uh, for customers to download free and get access to really deep uh, analysis and charting capabilities and information. Um, you know, right on their mobile device without having to wait till they get home or open up a laptop and do it so everyone can see. You can do it on the privacy and ease of your own phone and get all the same information, if not better in some cases, than you would on a traditional broker's website. Now, you know, fast forward a couple years uh, and then, you know, zero commission was the new reality of the world. So we decided to launch our trading applications with zero commission, putting us in that Robin Hood sort of world. But at no point was Weeble uh, created to be a rival to Robinhood. It just yeah. kind of flowed that way because our demographic is, is so similar right. with our customer being a mobile first customer which puts them right. in the same kind of age. And is the Webull trading platform available outside the United States? Is it available in China or Europe? So it's available for anyone to download, to use the market data. There's no brokerage wall or paywall to get access to the information or the tools. 
Um, so that's a big separating point from us, from any brokerage co competitor. Uh, right now, we do have brokerage license in the U.S., which is our, our number one focus uh, in terms of customer growth. But we also have brokerage licenses elsewhere in Hong Kong, pending in Singapore, and we're applying for other jurisdictions around the world. All right, so you're still growing, and uh, uh, do stay in touch with us and let us know about your progress. Always interested to find out what the younger investors are doing. Anthony Denier, CEO of Webull, thanks very much for joining us, and thank you, everyone, for joining us on the ETF Edge podcast. Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc.